0: I have one question before we get started. How do you guys feel about joining the Got Guts podcast series?
1: It was the greatest moment of
0: 2022.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, how's that for for politicking? I clearly
3: owe Dan a beer at the next in-person meeting. Nice.
0: Welcome to another episode of Got Guts? A podcast of the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal and Liver Physiology. Joining us today are Editor-in-Chief, Professor Mark Fry, and authors, Dr. Simona Carboni and Dr. Daniel Poole of the recently published manuscript titled, Positive allosteric modulation of endogenous delta opioid receptor signaling in the enteric nervous system is a potential treatment for gut motility disorders. So let's talk guts over to you, Professor Fry.
3: Thanks, Jamie. Good morning, Dan and Simona. It's uh, nice to see you. It's, uh, I guess, eleven o'clock in the m- in the morning in Australia, and it's uh, end of the day. It's almost happy hour here in Los Angeles, so. Let's have a let's have a chat about science. So on this podcast, we like to talk about the work you've done, but we also want to tell your stories and get to know you a little better. So why don't we open up with talking to each of you about how you got into research and what in particular drew you to the GI track? Simona, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, So I did my PhD at Flinders University in Adelaide in South Australia. And I was very fortunate enough to be listening to some wonderful neuroscience lectures by Professor Marcello Costa and Professor Simon Brooks. And Nick Spencer wasn't in uh, wasn't in Adelaide at that point. He was still in Reno. But I did a, a, a research placement as a part of my Bachelor of Medical Science degree. And I I just loved it. I wasn't expecting to. I just was moving through the motions at that point. But... I really loved it and I thought, okay, all right, So this, this seems fun. Let's see how I go. We have a year called Honours, an Honours project. That's an extension of your Bachelor's degree. It's a one-year intensive research project and I still loved it and I was still um, really excited to be doing what I was doing. As a part of that Honours year, I got exposure to working on um, specimens of donated colorectal specimens from human uh, from humans, from patients because... The research group was collaborating with Professor Dave Wachow, and that really gave me my why for why I want to do science. So a lot of the work I try to do has a, a human element to it, working on human tissue, trying to validate findings we make about how the enteric nervous system works and the cells around it, and yeah, what that means for human patients by using human tissue samples.
3: Great. Thanks. How about you, Dan?
1: Cool. So I actually have a background in sort of agricultural science. So part of the physiology course there is sort of describing how the gut of ruminants work. So we all know, you know, ruminants have four stomachs and <laughs> the, the control of how the, you know, the animals burp, ruminate and mix their gut contents is a, is a really nice example of that classic Vago, vagal sort of reflex and mechanosensation and things like that. And that really triggered my interest in the gut. Uh, end up doing a master's looking at how endotoxins from grasses end up really negatively impacting uh, gut movement in, in uh, sheep and then from there went on to work in meat science which really isn't that exciting and I said I've got to do something better. You know? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great excuse to leave New Zealand and come to Australia so I came to Australia and worked with one of the pioneers in the enteric nervous system fieldist uh, Professor John Finesse. and then from there sort of carved out a niche i
3: guess now you said endotoxins from grasses so the grass itself has endotoxins or is this bacteria on the grass
1: uh, they're endophytic fungus so oh they, interesting yeah, okay they produce, right. uh, displaying my complete
3: algal. agricultural ignorance here uh-huh. that actually sounded like a pretty cool story so yeah yeah
1: hmm. so the ergon alkaloids sort of the the type of things that you know, like LSD derivatives and things like that. So mm, okay, to
3: of off. Right, even more unusual occurrences here. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. All right, that's great. It's I think it's exciting to hear how we all come from different backgrounds, but eventually end up in this really cool organ system and are able to actually talk to each other about it. Even though I know nothing about toxic fungus on grasses and I don't know a lot about nerves, and yet we're we're able to have this discussion. Why don't we go ahead and get your elevator pitch for the paper? I'd like to hear what you have to say about it in the sense of what's the take home message and the exciting bits of it for somebody like me who maybe doesn't understand the enteric nervous system as well as he should, but wants to learn more. Uh, what's going to hook me into looking the? I mean, I've, I have read it, but the, the archetypical me sitting somewhere else in a different office who wants to be convinced to pick it up and read it.
2: Um, Okay. So if we go back, enteric nervous system, I'm sure a lot of this audience would appreciate that um, the gut has its own little brain network of nerves called the enteric nervous system. And these nerves help to control a bunch of different things. But in this paper, we're interested in motility. So on the ENS, you've got receptors for opioids and they help to control gut motility. Normally, when you give an opioid, um, so like is a really good example that is given for a traveler's diarrhea. Unfortunately, while it might help with curing the symptoms of diarrhea, it'll also just clog up your guts a bit and can make you quite constipated. Instead, the approach we're taking is the thought of, well, how about we use what's called an allosteric modulator? So for a receptor, you've got two sites that can be targeted. There's the orthosteric site, which is where most of your receptors, uh, most of your drugs will target that that receptor, that part of the receptor. And then you've got the allosteric site. So think of it like the other site, yeah? You can either have an agonist that will bind to that spot and will activate the receptor just like normal, or it can modulate the action of something that has bound in the orthosteric site. So it can turn it up or turn down the effect of a drug that's bound in that site. So that's what we've investigated here. Can we use what's called a positive allosteric modulator, which will dial up the action of a drug that normally binds to the Delta opioid receptor on enteric neurons? And can we use that to change gut motility? Dan, anything else?
1: I was just gonna say, part of the beauty of this approach is that we can actually enhance what's naturally happening. So we retain Mm -hmm. physiological control. So if you just throw in morphine, for example, it activates new opioid receptors along the mm-hmm. entire length of the gut. So you're removing any sort of control that you have over how the, how the gut moves.
3: Right. As, as anyone who's had major back surgery can attest to.
1: Indeed. Whereas in this case, we get naturally released opioids that activate the Delta opioid receptor and we can turn up that signaling where it happens naturally.
3: You know, as, as much as I was sort of, making light of it uh, with the back surgery comment, this is a major side effect of a lot of surgeries, right? I mean, you know, that's, it It actually puts people, some people off from getting surgeries they need because they don't want to have to deal with the GI after effects.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, it's, well, I was going to say, it's a limiting factor for people coming out as well, right? Yeah. If you haven't yeah. had a, a bowel movement, then you're going to stay there. Now that could be right. different reasons for that, but definitely the opioids could be mm-hmm. part of the problem too.
3: So that's terrific. And so you've, You've got lead compounds that are working for this then?
1: We're using a commercially available one at the moment, but we have actually developed a new scaffold, a new, new compounds uh, with a team of medicinal chemists and pharmacologists at the Monash Institute of Pharmaceutical Sciences. So we have something in place that's pretty exciting. Can't tell you too much at the moment, but uh, mm-hmm. the next stage is pretty clear to us what we'll do.
3: Fantastic. Well, I, I look forward to reading that paper when it comes out. So then, you know, moving beyond this line of work, what are you excited about next? What to you is the next big thing in GI research and, you know, I, presumably in your area of GI research?
2: Well, we have lots. Um, <laughs> Dan, where do you want to start with?
1: I think I think for us, a lot of it is, I and mean, it's a very popular topic, obviously, but how the nervous system and the immune system interact. So we're very lucky to work with very good quality immunologists and uh, we've applied a lot of this sort of current thinking to the study of a disease, Hirschsprung disease. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We work with a surgeon, Sebastian King, and he provides us with uh, patient samples. We've been looking at uh, how the mucosal immune system has changed in regions of the bowel of these children, which lack Mm -hmm. the uh, Mm enteric nervous system. So that's sort of the current and immediate future research that we will be doing.
3: Um, oh, that's exciting. That's a, that's a really cool area. And it's a, it's a, a disease that while re- relatively rare has also been completely intractable for far too long. Um,
2: yeah. One of the reasons we're so interested in it is the fact that, you know, you can have a patient remove their bowel, remove the part that's um, agangliolic where that enteric nervous system hasn't developed. And yet these patients will, kind of problems for years afterwards mm-hmm. um, that continue on. So it suggests that it's not just the missing enteric nervous system that's the problem. It's something else that's interacting with the ENS mm-hmm. in other sites. Um, that's also a problem too. So it's fascinating.
3: Yeah, it's really an interesting and important problem. That's great. All right, let's, let's move a little bit away from the heavy stuff. So you're at Monash down there in Australia. What should people who come visit your city absolutely do?
2: at the moment yeah, not not not.
3: <laughs> yeah. Let, let me rephrase that once COVID is over
1: <laughs> what's you know i think what, it's what, gotta be gotta be eating and uh drinking i think that's really the top selling point in melbourne i think it's not so much a city of sightseeing it's more a city of going out and doing fun stuff i think
3: okay okay and and, and is is monash right in the middle of melbourne or is it or is it out in the suburbs uh, the main campus
1: is quite far from the from the city centre, but our campus is pretty close to downtown, so Okay, probably probably a mile from downtown. So, yeah.
2: yeah, we're pretty lucky. It's the kind of city that you just, like as Dan said, you just walk around and live and do coffee, big coffee culture, big mm-hmm. food culture. Obviously, the Australian brunch is something that has taken off in own parts of the US, particularly in New York. There are a lot of Australians opening Australian-style cafes because of just this lifestyle i guess that we have yeah it's a smashed yeah. avocado on, uh, on toast is, is a big australian thing apparently um, but yeah anyway it's delicious was
3: was yes. that imported from los angeles
2: <laughs> i think it's like, <laughs> probably we'll say we'll say or, that
3: or maybe we got it maybe we stole it from you i don't know It's. The, the, i reckon
2: uh, it was the other way around i reckon it was the other way around all
1: great cultural things are stolen from so. us <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs>
3: But so that so they so the, there's actually people you actually call it the Australian brunch. It's you know, what, yeah, late, yeah. Late, late coffee and avocado toast.
2: Yeah, yeah. And a coffee is different, like it's more like an Italian style coffee as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. So,
0: so, do you call breakfast brekkie or breakfast? No, it's
2: definitely brekkie. a hundred percent. Dan might not because he's got the New Zealander approach. But um, yeah. I've lived
1: here for 20 years, but there are a lot of things I don't, I won't say. So.
0: <laughs> how about McDonald's? Maccas or McDonald's?
2: 100% Maccas. 100% hmm. Maccas. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're a requirement on a long drive. So I've made the drive from um, Melbourne to Adelaide. Don't ask me how long that is in miles. It's um, many kilometres. Um, takes Thanks. about... Yeah, yeah, eight to, if you've got kids, nine, ten hours, and you need a um, a Macca's stop uh, along the way, that that gets you through for sure. Mm -hmm. Not not that we're promoting McDonald's on this podcast,
3: but. um, But there are, in fact, no short drives in Australia, right? So
2: Not really. That's probably one of the shortest, I reckon, between two capital cities, Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. But beautiful and worth it, yeah. We've got some great coastline. Obviously the big beach cultures are something that we take for granted uh, for sure.
3: Um, so, so Simona, you have a podcast yourself that we were talking about before we started our discussion here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That, sound, that sounded like something that I think a lot of our listeners are probably going to be interested in.
2: I do. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk about it. So it's called the lead candidate and in it, I chat to people in different positions of leadership um, from a science background uh, to understand what makes them tick, what makes them a great leader. Um, it's based on this idea that just because you have a lot of publications and you get a lot of grants as a scientist, that doesn't necessarily make you a great leader. So what are the qualities that a great leader has? Um, so I speak to people in academia, academia, on different boards and organizations, even CEOs and people in industry and business and that sort of thing too. Uh, so it's it's mainly been I've had one season so far, so it's mainly been an Australian uh, group that I've spoken to. But Janu uh, Faruja from the Mayo Clinic, he kindly lent his time um, to chat to me as well. So I'm I'm getting my US reach happening too.
3: <laughs> That's great. So we've we've asked. Simona about something that she's doing kind of uh, on the, I mean, it's, it's still science adjacent, but Dan, what do you do when you're not thinking about the uh, digestive organs in the ENS? (laughs) I'm
1: always thinking about the guts, but for me, the big thing is travel and I haven't been able to do that for over two years now. So it's a little bit difficult.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a tough, tough time for travel aficionados. The, 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 The homebodies who are a little bit introverted are really having a field day
1: exactly so i try to go somewhere interesting every year but uh, Mm -hmm. hasn't hasn't happened unfortunately
2: he's again underselling himself but he really travels (laughs) like he really travels
3: what's what's the most Um, outlandish place you've been
1: um i've been to north korea spent 10 days there i went to turkmenistan for my 40th it was uh Mm eye-opener and lots
3: of
1: other places as well so Hmm.
3: That's great. And, and uh, Simona, other than podcasting about leadership, other uh, wild hobbies that uh, you uh, want to talk I w- about?
2: I wouldn't say they're wild, but yeah um, maybe maybe
3: maybe wild isn't a fair question.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I've got two two solid pastimes, so I like running. I really mm-hmm. enjoy running. Um, that's probably more about um, getting out of the house and keeping my mental health in check than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I love uh, making food as well. Mm, mm-hmm. I, um, and, and going out and eating at restaurants too, but making which of course then important.
3: requires you to run as a hobby Correct. at the same time.
2: <laughs> Correct. And given, uh, so my name's Italian background. So I do a lot of carbohydrate based products mm-hmm. such as pasta and pizza. Um, yeah, so it definitely requires a bit of running to keep that in check for sure. For sure.
3: Fantastic. Well, we, ha- we, we also have just for fun, the, Lightning fill-in-the-blank round here at the end. So, wicked. Uh, uh, yes. All right. Like, I was this for I the first one, the blank is the most overrated cell in the body. Dan. Uh the T cell. Simona.
2: You, you're going to be in so much trouble. His partner's an immunologist.
3: <laughs> I thought I saw a little uh, twinkle in his eye when he said that. <laughs>
2: Okay, uh, I don't oh, epithelial cell. What
3: you're <laughs> gonna <laughs> Delete.
2: <laughs> you're gonna offend someone no matter what. So it's, choose, it's absolutely you?
3: true, absolutely. <laughs> I knew that when I wrote the question. All right, uh, Simona, the next SARS-CoV-2 variant should be called blank.
2: Oh, um, <laughs> uh, the professor Fay uh very there, there we go <laughs> gotta be lambda, lambda, lambda.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right and dan's going with lambda 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 um everybody thinks blank referring to a lab technique is really quite tricky but it's actually quite easy dan electrophysiology
2: Oh, burn, mate! <laughs> burn,
3: Simona. How about you?
2: <laughs> Immunohistochemistry, right back at you. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. I, I see I would have said Western blotting. So
2: yeah, well that was that was my first answer. But um, mm-hmm, if Dan's electros- gonna burn me on etiology,
1: ethos- jeez, I'm just having a go at Sim. That's
3: all. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: Sounds like there's a backstory here. She's an physiologist.
2: <laughs> We're just like ribbing each other. That's all. That's
3: fair. That's fair. Yeah. All right. I, I guess this is going to be a question for Simona, given your talk about cooking and eating. Uh, blank is the best consolation dinner after a massively failed experiment.
2: Oh, a big plate of pasta, for sure.
3: Fantastic. And then Dan, everybody is surprised when they find out that I blank.
1: I'm um, half Japanese.
3: Huh. You're right. I'm surprised. (laughs) I I did not know that. (laughs) No one can guess it. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Right. So then just thinking more generally, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, lab life and in uh, Melbourne and, and more broadly what it's like to be a GI researcher in Australia or an academic in Australia? I, I suspect you have unique challenges relative to other places as every place does.
2: Yeah, sure. So I guess one of the things that's probably quite surprising for an American audience is uh, the idea of tenure, having a tenured position. A tenured position is like a unicorn; you know, they just they really are incredibly rare and and don't exist. They're basically non-existent. So um, for a lot of us, even up to the level of professor, these people uh, don't have tenure in Australia. So that's one thing mm. that we grapple with quite a bit. Um, so that's why it's super important to give early and mid-career. So we use the term early, mid-career researcher here. So mm-hmm. early would be anyone between five, depending on the scheme, five and seven years post-PhD, mm-hmm. and mid would be up to, what would you say, about 15 years, Dan?
1: I think 15, Yeah.
2: Yeah, about mm-hmm. 15 years. It's really important that you give those people a go when it comes to things like um, presentations or mm-hmm invited speaker spots or th- those sorts of things because it's super competitive, right? Trying to stay, have right, a viable right. career, getting grant funding, fellowships and stuff like that. So that's that whole process has been a really big talking point for a lot of us academics in Australia for the last little while. Um, yeah, so that's one big thing. We're very active in the lab, Dan, mm-hmm. even more so than me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's definitely not just sitting back at your desk and writing all the time. We're doing a whole bunch of everything, really. Uh, Dan, did you want to add anything?
1: No, just uh, that, you know, the lab does run on the high quality PhD students that we're getting through and I really want to just give a shout out to them. They really are the ones that make the lab run. You know, I can do all the lab work I want, but they're better than me at it.
2: Yeah, we're super lucky to run a lab together with our co-director, Nick Feldhaus, who's mm-hmm, more in mm-hmm. the pain. We have a, a, a pain research arm, and he really right. leads that. Right. Yeah, we've got a really good group. We've got a really good system in place, so um, we're pretty great. lucky. Yeah,
3: and, and it really is – it can't be overemphasized enough how important it is to shine the light on, the, you know, the, the students and the early career investigators who really make this – the whole scientific enterprise run and often do get overlooked, as you say.
2: Definitely. Give them a shot. Give them a shout mm-hmm. out. They need mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. pump up their tyres. Um, <laughs> is, is that an Australian expression? Australian expression? <laughs> it must be. Uh, that's an Australian <laughs> expression. Sorry. <laughs> uh, give them a confidence boost. Give mm-hmm. them a confidence yeah. boost. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Having said that, I should uh, emphasise that this paper is Jesse Tuchello's paper, and he was a really good PhD student in the lab. A yeah, very independent thinker. This is his work. Oh,
3: fa- fantastic. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, it's been absolutely terrific to talk to the both of you. It uh, I you know, I really I mean, I, I get a real kick out of reading papers that are well outside my tightly focused epithelial biology wheelhouse. And <laughs> I thought and I thought this was a, a really enjoyable paper that was also really well written to the point that even somebody like me could understand it. So thank you for producing this thank nice work.
2: That's um, very kind. Well you. it's
3: you know well deserved is terrific work. So so thank I you it helps for that doing
1: pharmacologist and we had to write a pharmacology paper. So.
3: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that that's actually, you know, the the sort of the interdisciplinaritizing or what whatever you want to call it of of, G, of GI physiology is I think a really powerful thing to build bridges between these different communities where you have pharmacologists and you know neuroscientists and epithelial people that end up having to talk together or try to bridge to each other's areas because that's just where you end up. It's yeah. one of the things... I love about the the digestive organs is that it's it's a microcosm of the entire organism. You know, the I mean, really, the ENS is more important than the CNS, right? So you know, it's (laughs) yes.
2: (laughs) We we would say so. You would say so. Actually, can I just add that the really great thing about you guys doing this podcast is that it also helps people who might read the papers get a rough idea of what the authors are like too. Because I can say so back in my honors years my project was on vagal afferents and it was on a particular group of receptors and I kept reading these papers that this Daniel Paul guy was always an author on and I'm like, who's this Daniel Paul? who's this guy why does he keep turning up and then I met him I went oh Daniel Paul's really nice he's a really great guy and we ended up running a lab together and he's one of my closest friends so you know like that's uh, it's it's just a really nice way, I'm not saying that will happen from the podcast, but it's a really nice way to break down that, I guess, yeah, barrier yeah. sometimes we put when we see a name for whatever reason that we make mm-hmm. up in our heads.
3: So, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah we all make up stories in our heads all the time and then you meet the people and it's,
1: they're different it's great. Yeah, I'm glad I could annoy you from uh, from a distance <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and even via Zoom you still can <laughs> I
1: can still do that
3: Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was, this was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, thank happy you. Thursday. Yep. H- have a good week. You Talk too. to you later. Bye. Bye.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal and Liver Physiology and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the AJP GI and Liver Physiologies homepage. Thank you for listening.